And so I think that's that's been a stepwise improvement for Open Door because a lot of their a lot of the delay in their pending to close velocity over time has been um, you know days required to get approved for a mortgage. And so if you can get pre qualified in sixty seconds, that's that's really powerful for the company. And so um, I think it's a slick interface. It's a much needed product, and it's long term. I think going to be a huge value um, to their buy side attach. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. A few months ago, our managing editor, James Kleiman at Housing Wire, sent me a link to a Twitter profile that gave me some serious Michael Burry vibes. Today's guest is Tyler Oakland, a facial reconstructive surgeon by day and an open door analyst by night. Tyler is also the founder of Datador, a real estate analytics platform that focuses specifically on iBuyer data. Tyler goes deep in this episode on all things Open Door, from their business model to their efforts into core services, to their partnership with Zillow, to the ups and downs during COVID, and what the industry and equity investors can expect in the coming months, coming quarters, and coming years from iBuyers and Open Door. Tyler is truly an expert on iBuying and has gone deep into all aspects of Open Door, from their buying patterns to their selling patterns to their financials um, to their interactions with the FTC. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, I really hope you'll rate us on iTunes and join us for Housing Wire Annual in Scottsdale on October 3rd. This type of content is exactly what you can expect in person at this princess in Scottsdale at Housing Wire Annual. We're talking about all things mortgage, real estate, going into core services, going into partnerships between mortgage lenders and real estate brokerages. We're talking about iBuying. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about rates. We're talking about the housing market. Folks, I'm really passionate about this stuff. And if you listen to Housing News, I assume you are too. Please join us in Scottsdale. Hey folks, and now a quick message from our housing news podcast sponsor, Radiant Title Services. You hear the term blockchain show up more and more in the real estate industry, but what does it mean for lenders and homeowners? And how does servicing work when funding mortgages from the blockchain? Radiant's title insurance and closing services platform, Title Genius, answers these questions with a blockchain-enabled online portal that gives you simple pricing, smarter processes, more transparency, and superior service. Visit MyTitleGenius.com. And if you're a real estate agent, there's a link right on the landing page with specific knowledge for you. Check out MyTitleGenius.com for more information. Tyler, good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Thanks for having me, Clayton. <laughs> Thrilled to have you. And uh, please excuse me if there's any background noise today. We are in the middle of moving offices and I am working from home, which is like Grand Central Station right now with uh, <laughs> with with kids and the do- dog running around. So uh, there might be a little background noise in this episode, but I think that's par for the course in this um strange hybrid world that that we're living in right now. But Tyler, we're thrilled to have you. I, uh, I kind of teased out on Twitter that I'm interviewing a, a surgeon today who happens to be a, happens to be an open door analyst and a housing market enthusiast. So I want to kick off like, wh- what's your origin story? Like, how, how did you kind of make the where did the interest start in the housing market? Um, from your and how that bridge from your healthcare career? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I, I, I guess I would say that uh, I've moved maybe fifty times in my life. Um, 
So I went to five high schools. I, you know, I'd moved 20 times by the time I started high school. Um, and, and I think even, even from a young age, it was just clear that there was so much broken about the process and so many, so many different aspects of the move that were um, uncomfortable and, and difficult for the consumer. And, and I think as I, I got older and moved more, I got to a point where I'm, I'm sort of a, I'm a big proponent of high MPS experiences. I think, I think like we should all have, have good experiences, especially in commerce, but particularly when the commerce is material. And so the bigger the commerce, the, the more delightful the experience should be. And I think when I first began learning about Open Door, the company and the problems they were trying to solve, it's like, finally, finally, there's, there's someone working on this, right? Comprehensively, the full stack. And, and uh, what sort of drew me to begin writing about it is despite my enthusiasm for what they were doing, it seemed like there was a lot of negativity marbled in um, from, from a lot of different people. And so I wanted to inject my voice into the mix to, to kind of provide my opinion about it. That's really interesting. So how did you, I mean, so I, I high MPS experiences, you are a, a facial and reconstructive surgeon. So I imagine high MPS experiences are pretty important in your, in your day job. <laughs> How have you balanced this, this, this moonlighting, uh, kind of, uh, role, role that you have in, in building, um, data door and your interest in the, um, the eye buying space? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's puts and takes. Um, I remember, talking to my wife when I, cause I, I first began writing about open door in June of 2021. So it hasn't been that long. Um, but I remember I was driving with her and reading an article about open door and I just felt like no one really had captured the thesis. Um, and I was just like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it. I want to do it right. And I, I know it's going to take some time. Uh, and so I ended up waking up a little bit earlier and then I just sort of continued to wake up a bit earlier as you do to make time for, for all the things that you have in the day. But obviously it's, it's busy on both ends. Yeah. So our managing editor uh, at housing wire, James Kleiman, he, he initially shared your Twitter profile with me uh, a few months ago. And like my, my initial take is like, I'm getting some like Michael Burry vibes here, like uh, <laughs> MD by training um, housing analyst and inv investor by, by night, which ultimately for Michael turned into a, um, more than a full-time job. Um, so what, so when your an initial interest started in open door, was it like going in as a, as an equity investor and analyzing the business to better understand the, your, your take as an equity investor? Yeah, I think, you know, initially I, I thought maybe I'll just write about different technology companies that I think are, are interesting. And I, I did that for a while, but at the end of the day, I'm a subspecialist of a subspecialty, right? Like I, I did five years training of a surgical subspecialty, and now I'm doing another year of training in a subspecialty of that subspecialty. I pick favorites, right? Like I like to go deep into a topic. And, and while I enjoyed writing about other companies, I just felt like my, my particular skills could be best used if I got hyper-focused on one company and really understood it well. And that's what really led me to beginning to build a process that I could see open doors operational performance in real time and sort of use those data to be a better investor to to create better content about the company and understand it so does that very specific interest in open door bridge you into like long or short interests in other um other i buying entities or other like real estate tech companies or do you keep like the blinders on is this like open door all day all night no, I, I'm actually pretty interested in the prop tech space, but, but I think 
a lot of a lot of my interest in that space comes because I've spent so many hours learning and researching about the different transactions, the different elements that that you know can be addressed and and um, optimized. And so I'm I'm very interested in all the different models that are that are attempting to um, to sort of revolutionize real estate. So playing around with the Datador site, it seems like you're you're digging into proprietary and, for, and second party data sources that enable you to much better understand what's happening in the in the iBuying ecosystem. What's kind of bridged your interest into productizing this work into a into a business or a product versus kind of retaining the knowledge for your own like for for your own equity investing strategy or 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 own like blogging and, and research capabilities. Like how how do you bridge the interest from like hey I'm I'm obsessed with this business we're we're writing about it we're analyzing it to hey let's build a product that I I assume has like a commercially viable path ahead as a as a real estate data product. Yeah, so so in January of this year um Kind of the magical world of Twitter. I got a DM from someone I'd never met, um, whose name was Sebastian Shutero, and he's a Japanese Shopify developer. And he said, "Hey Tyler, I know that you're trying to build an algorithm to track open door operational performance." It's like I, I think I can build this. I just might not be the right person to explain it to people and and commercialize it. If you're interested, and I was like, "Yes, like let's team up and work on this." And initially, like you said, we we were using it more to just create content and, and provide a contrarian view on open door and become better investors. But at the end of the day, I'm not a high frequency trader. I'm not trading options and companies or anything like that. I'm a long investor sort of horizon type of person. And so it's probably not super useful as an investment tool for me because I'm not going to be trading around the position. Um, but we realized when we started running the numbers and in the estimates that we're getting very close to actual results. And so the more that we began to consider and contemplate how to how to commercialize the product, it was like, hey, there's a space for this, and there's demand, and we have an audience. So let's let's productize it. And so today we have an institutional tier. We we're a data vendor for hedge funds, consultancy groups, um, and you know uh, companies, and then we also have a retail investor tier as well. Really, really interesting. So what? Uh, tell me about some of like the the August 2022 insights that you're starting to gain from the, the data access that you've built through Datador? Yeah. So, so August was a tough month for, for the company. And I, I think, um, you know, one of the, one of the articles I, I recently wrote about open door is that, uh, they're struggling in, in quite a few of their major markets with the housing slowdown that we saw at the end of the summer, you know, mortgage rates sort of went through this, um, the ceiling of 6% and I think demand just didn't show up uh, as, as was expected. And a lot of people consider this um, a once in several decade event that probably won't happen again at that velocity. Um, but certainly Open Door bought more homes than they should have at, at an inopportune time. And they had to sort of pay the price and sell off a lot of that inventory in, in July and August and September. How do you, do you see the model do you see the buying pattern changing or, or has it like what has happened in the August bu- buying pattern? Yeah. So that, that's like the most important part of the thesis, right? Is if you have bad, if you have bad inventory and you know, you can sell it off. Sure. But eventually you have to replace it and replenish it with better purchase inventory. And so by that, I mean, higher spread inventory. So you paid less probably than it was worth so that you can sell it in a depreciating market and still make a, a positive margin. 
And what we're seeing is that through July, um, Opendoor has purchased, uh, like in the trailing seven-day period, Opendoor's purchase price in Atlanta and Phoenix, for example, is more than 10% lower than their purchase price in the peaks of June. So we're definitely seeing, uh, you know, a material improvement in spread for the company. And that's causing some uplift in, in their embedded and listing margins uh, as we move into Q4. We got a bunch of questions from uh, audience members on, on Twitter. One aligns with this, with this topic. Um, uh, Twitter user asked, how do you see the open door offloading their greater than 120-day inventory during this home price depreciation market? And I guess that's up for debate too, if we, this is a home price depreciation market. And I believe there was a, uh, a commission and bonus kicker that was put in place to help open door offload inventory faster in, in Q3. Can you tell us a little more about that, that announcement and how we see it playing out in the data? Yeah, so so Open Door reached out to some realtors to say that they're going to increase the commission to three point five percent plus thirty five hundred dollars on top of that for homes sold um, that were aged inventory or, or listed for more than one hundred and twenty days, uh-huh. um, and so that's really just you know uh, a sales a sales investment so that they can sell off some of this this aged inventory. I can tell you that. You know what we're seeing is that demand has returned in a dramatic way in September, um, and so you know we expect that a a lot of that inventory, perhaps not most, but a lot of the the poorly bought inventory will be sold off um, in in Q3, and uh, less of it will need to be sold off in Q4. If there's any if there's any home price appreciation between then, then it's positive for the company. If there's further home price appreciation, it's obviously going to be a negative. Do, do we have any grasp from the data about what percentage of homes from open door or from the entire iBuying ecosystem are selling at a loss in, in Q3 or, or anticipated to? Oh, for sure. I mean, um, I don't have those data off the top of my head, but we have all the raw transaction data. So yeah, yes. Yeah. We can definitely, we can definitely look that up. Okay, cool. Maybe that's something we need to share on, on, on Twitter afterwards. That was a, a question we got from a few folks. And I think pretty telling about, um, you know, what financial performance will look like in the iBuying space over the next couple of quarters. So, so let's zoom back out for a, a second, second, Tyler, and talk about iBuying as a whole. So I, from the vantage point that I sit, the last two years should have been a, an incredible market for, for iBuyers. The home price appreciation was incredibly forgiving to, to purchase strategies. And, you know, up until we saw this, uh, spike in interest rates in Q2 of this year, um, purchase demand was was off the charts. So let's talk about like your viewpoint of what this COVID environment should have meant for the iBuy market, and either where that went wrong or or where that went right. Yeah, I think I think this is this is often mentioned, um, and and I, I do think that there's some nuances there that are that are helpful when thinking about the model. I would say that. Opendoor's entire business is powered by their sell to open door product, right? So you're a homeowner, you don't want to go through the process of listing your home for 90 days and doing multiple showings and stagings and things like that. So you sell to open door and you pay a 5% fee. The problem is, is in a hot market, right? Like the COVID post COVID market, it was really easy to sell your home. You listed your home and that weekend you have 10 offers, right? You don't need open door in that situation. Um, and so 
And so Opendoor's product doesn't really make sense in the, in the COVID environment. And so as a result, they were probably having to pay more per home than, than they would have in a flat, slightly up, slightly down market um, to, to convert. And so that's, that's really important to internalize is that there are some boons in terms of the HPA, but there's really two drivers on margin for Opendoor. One is spread, right? Buying homes for less than they're worth. And the other is HPA, selling a home because it's appreciated. And so HPA should be the driver of margin in an up market. Spread should be a driver of margin in a down market. But it's not so much like Opendoor's product works better in a hot market or down market. It's really just that Opendoor should be sort of cycle agnostic as long as the cycle isn't super fast. That's where they can get caught, right? Because the dynamics of buying and selling homes at scale is like a 30 to 60 day window. And so if housing moves faster than 30 to 60 days, then then they might have mistimed the market. And so, so yeah, I think I think that's one of the features that probably negatively impacted Opendoor's performance in a post-COVID world. The other thing is they were competing with Zillow, right? Zillow decided to, to put their foot on the gas at the same time Opendoor did. And so now you're competing with this company that is definitely overpaying for homes, which is Zillow. And so to convert, you might have had to even, you know, go a little bit higher in your offers. And so I think. I think it's easy on one hand to say, hey, home price appreciation was 25% year on year, but Opendoor holds inventory for only like two to three months. So, you know, they only got a fraction of that, but also they were competing with Zillow. And, and I think all of those were sort of negative impacts on their performance for, for post-COVID world. Can you give us a, uh, a, a little behind the scenes on what Zillow was building where they went wrong and and where they are now. Kind of the I, I know you're you're deep in the eye buying world, but the, our whole audience is not. So kind of give us a, a glimpse into to what happened in the Zillow narrative. Yeah, so so in 2018, Rich Barton, um, you know, the original founder of Zillow, who wasn't with the company at the time, but he came back to Zillow and he said, "Hey, you know, we're going to be Zillow 2.0. We're going to do eye buying and we're going to compete with Open Door because they didn't want to be displaced um, as a marketplace." And so they invested all this money, they created all this operational infrastructure, they built their algorithm. And in 2021, they really put their foot on the gas to compete with Open Door. And the first couple quarters were sort of lumpy for them in 2021. And by Q3, they said, screw it, we're gonna, we're gonna buy as many homes as possible. They introduced a project called Project Catch Up, which is to catch up with Open Door in eye buying volume. And as the housing market began to turn in Q3, they kept paying more and more and more for homes. And by the end of Q3, they had a big bag of inventory that wasn't worth nearly as much as they paid for it. And so they made, you know, very sophisticated um, uh, managerial announcement that they're exiting iBuying, that it can't be predicted and that it, it wasn't safe. They sold off all their inventory, lost uh, a, a little under a billion dollars. Um, fast forward to today and now they're partners of Open Door. And so they're, they recently announced that they're, they're going to um, partner with Opendoor so that home sellers on the Zillow platform can get a, a direct offer straight from Opendoor. But when Zillow botched this and announced their, or started to see evidence in their financial reporting of the inventory build and announced their exit from the the iBuying space, I mean, that was kind of a scarlet letter on, on all of the iBuyers, right? Like there was a negative equity market reaction to Zillow's misstep. For sure. Yeah. I think in the first the first week or so, investors were cheering for Open Door because it was like, oh, well, Open Door is clearly surviving and thriving despite what Zillow's saying. And then in the months after that, 
open door stock price just plummeted because investors were worried that you know if Zillow can't make it. Um, and we all know, you know, what a great company Zillow is, then how is open door and offer pad going to succeed? Yeah, that's interesting. So where like, has that mentality shifted at all? Like how, how, how has, how's the I buying market kind of adjusted with Zillow exiting? Yeah, I think, I think it's made it easier for the other competitors in the space. Um, and I think open doors partnership with Zillow has, has sort of, assuage some of those fears because it's kind of like saying, especially if you look into the deal structure, right? Like Zillow has a, has um, uh, sort of a clause in their deal structure that if open door reaches a certain share price, then Zillow can buy open door shares for less than that share price in the future. And so not only is it Zillow saying, Hey, we recognize that there's consumer demand for this product and open door is best positioned to provide the service, but also Zillow believes that open door is here to stay and, and they're willing to invest in that. Or it's a, a poison pill like mechanism that gives Zillow and oh god I was gonna, I was going to use the word open door to acquire open door but uh, that that is that kind of like uh, equity clause is something that could open the the door to additional level of partnership right oh for sure yeah I think I I think there are ways that a partnership like a, a deeper partnership between Zillow and open door makes sense functionally. Um, but they also have different incentives and different business structures, but just in terms of widening the aperture of, of open doors funnel with the Zillow partnership, I think it's, you know, it's, it's hugely positive, but probably for both companies. So Zillow's like built themselves, um, for better, for worse to be like the partner of the the real estate agent. And this open door partnership sets the stage for home sellers to be able to transact directly with open door. How does this move by Zillow and this partnership with open door maybe impact your view of which direction Zillow is heading in and their, and their quest for real estate digital dominance? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think it's interesting because it's there's definitely some major advantages to Zillow. My my biggest issue with Zillow is when they when they announced that they were leaving iBuying. I think they were not very transparent about the reasons that they were leaving. It was it was more excuses and less sort of um, you know we we underestimated how difficult the space is because it's a really difficult. It's a Spartan space to compete in. Um, but I think. I think my other issue was they said, we're going to build Zillow 3.0 now. We're going to build the housing super app. But a super app is sort of this financial model that only makes sense if you own the transaction. And by leaving the iBuying space, Zillow no longer owns the transaction. With the caveat that now that Zillow has this partnership with Opendoor, Zillow has re-entered the, the sell side transaction. And so that's, that's potentially pretty powerful for them as a company um, because they can begin to add on uh, you know, adjacent services to, you know, their customers who go to open door, but then need to buy a house. Zillow can add on mortgages and title and escrow and homeowners insurance and home warranty. That's how you become uh, a super app, full stack real estate solution. And so without having that partnership, Zillow couldn't really do that. And so this is sort of a backdoor way of, of uh, returning to that opportunity. And I mean, like going to NAR and other like realtor conferences, I, I hear the, the the talking points that iBuying is and should be a tool in the agent's toolkit to give their buyers liquidity in, in certain scenarios. And, and Opendoor also um, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but have, has done real estate agent uh, partnerships and integrations, correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, okay. the biggest component of their, of their um, costs are selling, selling commissions to realtors. Yep. Okay. All right. So this, the partnership with Zillow, like, th- does that, I'm trying to think through how does that counteract like the, the direct relationship they have and the commissionable relationship they have with agents? Is that a, um, or is there still like an agent integration with the Zillow and open door partnership? There is still an agent integration. So there's still a representative from Zillow who will help the the home seller through the process. And particularly if the home seller wants to be a home buyer, then Zillow provides a premier agent to them. So it's passes that along. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that's really interesting. So as a, like you're, you're clearly like one of the smartest guys in the room on, on open door and I buying. And so as you think about open door and and also think about as an investor, as a long investor in open door, what do you think the, the, the next 12 months of the market look like for, for the I buying for I buying an open door? Like we've, I think we've established that a, a more consistent market is a positive market for, for I buying the rapid, the rapidly rising, um, uh, purchase origination market and HPA market that we saw over the last two years was a tougher environment to operate in. So what do you anticipate as we kind of turn this corner into, into Q3, um, taking into, taking into account the, where interest rates currently sit and the fact that despite the feds effort, we're still seeing HPA. Yeah, I think, I think we're probably in a lot of this, a lot of this is, are sort of predictions based on things I can't, I can't control or estimate like HPA or um, yeah. Fed rates, mortgage rates, things like that. But it, you know, if I if I had to guess what we're going to see over the next twelve months, I would expect depressed margins at Open Door for the next couple quarters, depressed margins for OfferPad, Redfin now, same thing for the next few quarters. I think there's going to be uh, sun peeking out of the clouds in 2023 because barring barring another rapid decline, sort of like a existential shock to the system. I think it would be really, really hard for something like this to repeat itself. Not only because, not only because um, you know, just be rare, but also Open Door is very conservatively positioned now, right? So, like I said, if they're purchasing homes on average for ten percent less than they were just a couple months ago, that means that they already have ten percent extra margin baked into their their deals, right? And so, ten percent margin is pretty good for an eye buyer. That's that's tough to get to at baseline, and that that doesn't even include the five percent fee. You know what I mean? That that doesn't include their 5% fee. So there's there's a lot, I think, to be optimistic about once this mistimed inventory um, is sold through and replenished. But I do think we're probably not going to see the consequences of that until 2023, not to mention that home prices generally appreciate in the spring from the from the winter. So that's just more more of my macro take. Yeah, and I'll and I'll back up my my comment there on on referencing HPA. Uh still looking back on a on a the last 12 month basis. And I know it's varying pretty greatly by market. So, uh, and in some of the areas that might see declines might be areas that have a higher concentration of, of eye buying activity. So something really important to take into account. So it sounds like a, a, the lion's share of the margin for eye buyers is coming from the transaction, but from open door and others, we have seen an interest and entrance into adjacent services like like mortgage. Can you can you bring us up to speed on 
the mortgage service launched by Open Door and other realtor services and any other adjacent revenue lines? Yeah, so Open Door's biggest book of business um, that is not discussed broadly is actually a very boring one. It's their title and escrow business, um, uh, which I think most people would be hard pressed to to explain even what that is. Uh, but they have one of the largest title and escrow businesses in the United States. Um, and I think that it probably amounts to a material portion of their gross margin on all transactions. So if you actually did the math on it, it's it's significant. But because people don't really know how to communicate it, it's, it's not discussed as much. Mortgage is something that they recently launched a digital app into and they're beginning to scale. I would say that unless mortgage becomes um, a very high attached service at today's at today's transaction volumes it's it's almost irrelevant to to their uh, financials it's just too small too small service um, too low an attach rate to and I think I think just to, to back that up a little bit the biggest problem is that open door counts as revenue the entire home sale right so every home that they sell is four hundred thousand dollars. And so when you try to bake in the impact of a $5,000, $4,000 mortgage that only attaches 2% of the time, it's a not material part of their business today. Like you can do the math on that, but with 10,000 homes, 2%, right? You got 200 times five, you got like a million dollars in, in you know, additional revenue for a company that's doing billions and billions in revenue. It's just sort of a function of how the business is designed. And so mortgage would have to scale pretty materially to, to contribute. I mean- that's a, a shockingly low attach rate. Like what, what do you think is like, you know, missing in the workflow to increase the, the attach rate on mortgage? I mean, two is like, if you compare it to like, like let's use home builders, for example, attach rate significantly higher. So how, how do we, how do, how do we kind of square that one out? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I, and I don't want to, I don't want to make excuses here, but I, I do, I do have a few. Um, so one is that they're just beginning to scale the mortgage products, right? So it's only launched in one market. They're broadening it to other markets. And so when I apply that attach rate, it's to the composite rather than an individual market. The second thing I'd say is this is what's so important about building a full stack solution is you can control the sell side, but if you don't also control the buy side, then you can't attach all these incredibly important ancillary products. And so, as I said in the beginning, open door controls the sell side, right? A customer wants to sell their home, Open Door has a perfect solution for that. But what Open Door is increasingly strategically working on is developing this buy side functionality as well, buy with Open Door, Open Door exclusives, all these products. And the reason that that's so important is not only does it complete the flywheel, but when you're buying a home, that's when you need to get a mortgage. If I'm selling my home, I don't need a mortgage, right? But when I'm buying a home, I might need a mortgage, title and escrow, homeowner's insurance, home warranty. I might need to move. And so by moving into that space, that's how Open Door, I think, is going to be able to attach all those services. Let me guess, housing market uncertainty has you guessing what's around the corner. It's the reason we created Housing Wire Annual. Housing Wire Annual is where the community from across the housing ecosystem comes together to share strategies, drive business, discover new technologies, discuss best practices, and meet industry leaders. With four different tracks, including mortgage, real estate, valuation, and title, our agenda is power-packed with content to propel your company to the next level and connect you with the industry playmakers. Join us October 3rd through 5th at the Fairmont Princess in Scottsdale, Arizona. Head to housingwireannual.com to secure your spot now and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off tickets. Yeah, watching the housing ecosystem kind of 
come together for better or for worse is is an interesting uh an interesting play to watch right now i mean we're watching mortgage lenders all increase their internal title and escrow and insurance capabilities um every real estate broker worth their chops is launching uh every core service they possibly can and we just had our gathering of eagles conference in colorado for real estate brokerage execs and the the common theme that came up is a majority, if not one hundred percent, of margin is coming from these attached core services, not actually from the transaction. So, um, I think Open Door seems to be heading in the right direction with the adjacent services, but it's definitely a um, they're not the only ones. And uh, if they're not controlling the sale, that that definitely makes more sense on the two percent attach rate. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So. Uh, Jumping to a, a few other questions from our, our audience members, um, we got a message from a, a gentleman who asked about the new mobile mortgage app, which I believe has just been launched in, in California. Do you think that mobile app is something that helps increase attach rate? Um, and how, and how I'm asking you questions, Tyler, like you're like the, the CEO and like, <laughs> no, like, like are making these decisions yourself. I recognize that, that you are an analyst, but you seem to have your arms completely around this business. So, uh, I, I thought it was funny when you said, I don't mean to make excuses because <laughs> yeah, it's not you, man, you're not the one running this company, but, uh, but I understand what you're saying. So t- tell us more about the mobile app, um, with the context that you have. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the mobile app. So it was, um, they acquired, Open Door acquired a company in 2021 called uh, Red Door, um, which is a, a really interesting digital mortgage solution that that pairs, um, you know, lenders to the customer. So it can it can provide just the best estimate of mortgage rates, and it pre-qualifies uh, home buyers in 60 seconds or less. And so I think that's that's been a stepwise improvement for Open Door because a lot of their a lot of the delay in their pending to close velocity over time has been, um, you know, days required to get approved for a mortgage. And so if you can get pre-qualified in 60 seconds, that's, that's really powerful for the company. And so, um, I think it's a slick interface, it's a much needed product and it's long-term, I think going to be a huge value add to their buy side attach. And, but right now it's kind of riding along as a, as a separate app, right? It's not integrated into the main open the main open door iOS app or web experience? Correct. I think it was recently moved to the umbrella of open door products, but I'm not, I don't, I don't think that they've integrated it yet. Okay. So, Hey, maybe that's like another like feather in the cap for the, the, f- the future that helps and in increase that, uh, inc- increase that attach rate. So coming back to like the, the equity investor lens and also kind of the lens on the overall iBuyer landscape, um, we've talked a lot about the positives and the the opportunities that lie ahead here. But if you were to identify the, like the single most important landmine or business dynamic that could be the downfall for Open Door, like what is what is the risk that that you're watching for that might change your view as a long investor? Yeah, I think I think um, you know these these kind of go hand in hand, but. My original thesis of, of Open Door is that they're a market maker, right? So in a down market, they should do as well, if not better, than in an up market. And we talked a little bit about the demand dynamics in an up market, but in a down market, if you know that listing your home on the public market is just going to see it decline, you're going to have to keep cutting cutting prices every two weeks because that's what the recommendation is, and home prices are depreciating. Then selling to Open Door makes a lot of sense, right? So in that in that environment, ostensibly. Open Door would have even stronger product market fit. 
Um, but that's all theory, right? We haven't, we haven't really lived through an environment where there's been multiple months of sequential decline in the housing market. What we have seen is really the most rapid decline in, in home prices, at least in several markets in a long, long, long time, um, sort, of, sort of well outside what's expected if you study U.S. residential real estate history. And so Open Door wasn't really meant for that type of environment. Um, even still, I think we knew at Datadore, we knew in June that demand was declining um, just based on the numbers. And so watching Open Door continue to pay higher prices for homes was sort of demoralizing as, as an investor and as, as someone who's bullish on the space. And so I think, I think, you know, they've done a pretty good job explaining themselves. And I understand that the velocity was such that it was difficult, difficult to predict. But the, the biggest thing that I'm watching out for is that this doesn't repeat itself, that they can learn from their mistakes, that, um, that you know, their product market fit does, in fact, um, exist in down market and that they can be conservative over the coming years to ensure that this, this event doesn't repeat itself. Are, are there any metrics that you're, you're watching in the in financial reporting that you think are like telling of the direction the company is headed in, whether that's like revenue per home sold or like, if, if I don't know how are they reporting, like, uh, the, how are they reporting adjacent services? I'm trying to think about how you tie out like financial performance to the leading indicators that, that you're starting to gather through data door. Yeah. It's in, it's interesting because they're kind of a secretive company. Um, and they don't report a lot of their, like they don't report attach rates or things like that. So I more rely on our internal data infrastructure yeah. Um, to monitor the success of the company um, and then sort of cross check, you know, when they, with what they do report. But I, I would say the thing that's most important to me is, is elevated gross margins in all things. And then as that corresponds to contribution profit margin. And so we all know it's going to be a high revenue business. Um, we all know that they're going to sell a lot of homes if there's demand for that. But what I want to see is prudent unit economics over a long period of time, uh, as stable as possible. And so um, you know, the thing that I'm watching first and foremost is just, I want to see them be an 8% plus adjusted gross profit margin company every quarter, no matter what. Um, and this year they will not do that. So, um, so that's, you know, one of, one of the lamentations, but I do think that they're going to come back in a strong way in 2023. Mm -hmm. I, I think another, like kind of jump, jumping forward here, another big hurdle for the iBuying world to to cross is consumer perception and, and consumer adoption. And um, I think earlier this summer, uh, actually I think it was earlier this month, um, the real deal reported on the FTC slapping open door with a, with a fine for misleading sellers. Can you tell us more about that FTC settlement to the extent that you have, have knowledge there and, and how this type of issue if it, if at all, it impacts seller perception of open door and the eye buying ecosystem. Yeah, I think um, I, I think you know there's there's been a lot of a lot of commentary on this, and I think um, uh, you know what it sounds like is that open door was fined, I believe, sixty two million by the FTC for uh, misleading home sellers on the value of their services, um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that's fr frustrating to see, but, but at the same time, it's, it's also been in the works for about three years now. Um, so it's the way that these legal proceedings work. It's a very delayed process. Um, and in conversations that I've had, one of the things that sort of stands out is when you're, when you're a growth company in a new space, um, it's unregulated, right? And so you're, you're trying to convert, you're trying to market and you're trying to get, uh, you know, click through all the above and, 
And so your marketing team is, is hyper-focused on that. They're not really worried about um, necessarily what the regulations are because there are no regulations. And so I think, I think in that situation, you, you, might be, um, you might be in a position to over-promise, right? You might, you might say, you know, you get more value of this than a traditional experience. And then, you know, when you actually run the numbers, that, that might not, not actually be true. Um, but I will say that Open Door has taken significant steps in the interim, you know, over the past three years to make sure that this doesn't happen again. I think the FTC came down hard because they're introducing le- legislation and um, regulatory rules in a space that hasn't been previously regulated. And so they wanted to make an example of one of the companies and who better than the largest in the space, which is, which is Open Door. Yeah, that's fair. So. Uh, a big part of our housing wire and, and real trends audience are our mortgage and real estate brokerage executives. As you've gotten to, you've gotten deeper into the real estate ecosystem. What do you think are some of the bigger misperceptions that the traditional industry has about the i buying space, about open door, and about this this digital future that I that I think is the draw that initially brought you to open door of trying to see a more efficient um, housing transaction process from somebody who's moved 50 times in, in their life. Yeah. I think, I think sort of my core belief about this company is that they are trying to improve a broken Byzantine offline experience. And anyone who's against me on that basis, it's hard to find common ground on that, right? Because anyone who's transacted in real estate, can share the same thing. It is a low NPS experience. No matter if you have a good real estate agent, no matter if you have a good mortgage broker, it is a low NPS experience. There's just too much that's broken about it. And and especially when you compare that against everything else in our life that has been optimized by technology. Can you imagine if we still had to go to Blockbuster to like pick up a movie? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like these stepwise improvements in how we, how we transact that we take for granted. But then when you look at the areas where they haven't been improved, it's like, what in the world is going on? And so that's really like the core central burning piece of my, of my thesis in, in Open Doors that they're trying to improve something that needs to be improved because it's broken. And so I think, I think my biggest sort of surprise when I actually think about the volumes and the numbers is, is how, um, how villainized open open door is from from you know real estate professionals who are in the space because i do think that there's actually a lot of opportunities to collaborate i don't think that open door is ever going to be 100% of the space um, and and i think i think like as american consumers we should all be fighting for more options more choice in in our transaction experiences and so even if open door is 10% 15% of transactions or i buyers are there's still plenty of space for for real estate agent, mortgage brokers, things like that. So I I just think I just think there's more opportunities for for people to join up and become more than some of the parts. If I look at the common thread of some of the the companies in housing or, or technology overall that have been villainized, I think you start to see a common trend of companies that were well-funded venture-backed startups that come in and make noise quickly. So like, I mean, you, on the mortgage side, let's look at better.com. On the iBuyer side, we'll talk about Open Door. Um, the early days of Zillow, like when the venture-backed companies that come in and we, work. we yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, it's a, um, it's easy to be villainized when you come in and, and ca- create change quickly. It's also not proven to be like in, in housing, at least, has been a you know a challenging equity path for some of the the overfunded or or well funded uh, companies. The 
last three months have changed the funding landscape significantly for the the next generation of better.coms and open doors. Do you, and you mentioned being a, a prop tech enthusiast overall, how do you think for better or for worse, the prop tech market changes, the real estate innovation market changes as venture capital is flowing significantly slower than it was six months ago? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, I'm sure you saw that um, Adam Newman's company flow just got a, a major investment from Andreessen Horowitz. He's an anomaly. Yeah. That's an <laughs> anomaly there. That's yeah. I, I think, I actually think the direction, although it's probably going to be lumpy, my estimate would be that the direction is going to be more investment in, in prop tech in, in, in the space. And I think, I think that Open Door and some of these early pioneers are sort of going to be the punching bags um, on their way to sort of leading leading the charge. But then you have this this second host of companies that are that are coming after it that are really solving these these niche problems in in very intelligent ways. Um, and so I, I think like it's very clear to everyone, particularly investors, that housing needs change and it needs to be improved in, in a lot of different ways. And maybe maybe their ideal investment model is an open door, and maybe it's not Zillow. But I do think that investor appetite for continued innovation in, in prop tech is actually is actually just going to keep going up, even though right now it's a little murky. So Tyler, one final question for you, and I know cl- clearly a very analytical and intellectual person. So as you like rewind to January first of twenty twenty two. What is one thing that you've you've changed your mind on? One one belief that you you held, one assumption that you held. What's one thing you've changed your view on in the first eight months of of this year? Hmm. Gosh, I feel like I'm constantly changing my mind on things. Um, <laughs> I guess I guess I would say um, you know the thing I was most excited about for open door was actually ancillary services. Um, in January 1st, 2022, I, I thought that, you know, ancillary services was the key to unlocking these, these higher margin, um, results. And I, I think that's true still, but only partially true. I think the long-term opportunity for open door is actually to create, um, uh, sort of a, a third party marketplace. That's, that's where the investment opportunity becomes particularly compelling because if they can, if they can aggregate all of that unique supply and all of the demand follows it, then you have an opportunity for capital light marketplace where they can really jack up their, their gross profit margins um, and, and become, uh, to become a, a resilient company in the face of pretty much any, any circumstance. That's a great answer. So Tyler, I will let you throw on the scrubs and go uh, <laughs> and do some surgeries. Uh, I'm sure there's a patient waiting for you somewhere. Thank you so much for your time. Cool. Thanks so much for having me, Clayton. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.